Flex Double Features, uh, the podcast where we flex our knowledge, or usually lack thereof, of a couple of movies every week. I am one of your hosts, Estebs, here with your other host, Matt, a.k.a. The Posting Proletariat. How's it going, Matt? Going good. How you doing, man? Uh, Pretty good. I just told you uh, <laughs> before we got on mic not to like date this too hard, but like I took a midday nap, and uh, it also happens to be like day three, I think, of the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial. Mm-hmm. So, uh... I just fell asleep watching that, and so that means like an hour later, I was woken up violently by the sound of Johnny Depp stabbing himself, you know, uh, on the phone. Um, Hollywood, baby. That, but that, that's why we love the movies, because it's magic, you know? I know. The stars come out. The pictures come out. It's all beautiful, baby. <laughs> We're all doing this so we can make, so that everyone can get back to making movies again, you know what I'm saying? It's- yeah. Let's... Exactly. The, the the Johnny Depp Amber Heard sacrificial lamb so that we can get back to uh, making pictures, moving pictures. If he wants to be Grindenwald, you know, or whatever guy he's playing, I don't know. I, don't, I'm, <laughs> I feel like that actually is who he's playing, and I've never actually watched a Harry Potter movie or read a book. Um, but that's not going to look very good. It sounds like I love Harry Potter, and I don't. I've, I've only <laughs> seen the first movie, and uh, I just... You know, I think I was like close to twenty five by that point, so <laughs> it had lost the magic for me. <laughs> yeah, uh, but let's get to this week's uh, picks. The theme is Scorsese. Yeah, uh, I love Scorsese. You know, he's like the prototypical like proto letterbox guy. You know, like I think about him and all the film brats. You know, Coppola and De Palma and like all those guys just like hanging out and like pre group chat. They're just like broing down. You know, Lucas Spielberg uh john milius is there all the all the film brats you know um yeah yeah they're like, like they're like watching kurosawa films and like funny yeah, talking about his films. It's, it's all yeah. the yeah it's like all the letterbox stuff that we do now but like back in the 60s and like oh yeah all these people went on to make like the most important movies of like the sec the last 50 years or whatever you know change like change the box office uh change just american cinema in general for good or bad you can you can argue like and I, yeah what you were talking about earlier with like um like these kind of being like unexpected scorsese picks because like i've noticed like throughout his whole career he's been like following up movies with like left left turns right like he'll have like you know he'll do the gangster movie and then he'll do like the the next thing will be something completely different you know he'll do cape fear or he'll do like you know I think he followed up Casino with Kundun. Um, mm-hmm. like, uh, and he's been doing that his whole career. And yeah, like generally what will happen nowadays is like he'll make like the mildest criticism and it'll be 100% factual, but like the stupidest people will get mad at it. So they'll try to paint him as like this like guy who makes movies about quote unquote problematic white men, which like literally like it's not... <laughs> He does so much more than that, and through, like, his conservation efforts and his World Film Foundation, like, he's done more to, like, save film, not just from America, but from, like, you know, countries that otherwise wouldn't have the resources, you know, smaller countries that don't have, like, big box office, you know, movies that otherwise would have been lost, you know, he's 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 done more than anyone that they know, you know, to, like, literally preserve cinema, because if you know about movies, you'll know, like, 80-90% of all silent films are lost, and then since then, like, you know, we still have, like, we have more stuff from the 2010s, you know, than the 70s, right? But, like, we still, there's still stuff from, like, last decade that's already being lost, which is insane, but it, it, it it's already happening. It's crazy. 
Yeah, Scorsese is definitely important, not only as a filmmaker that's like almost canonized at this point, but Mm -hmm. as a, uh, I would say he is canonized, but as a, um, you know, preservationist and conservationist, you know, uh, um, he's definitely very important in, uh, you know, in in helping find these films and trying to um, preserve them for future generations because of their historical significance. And and mm-hmm. of their artistic value but um you know you and i talk about a lot of times just like off mic how uh scorsese he is one of those filmmakers that um actually watches movies you know oh, all the time yeah and that's something that's like it sounds crazy that it's a rarity you know mm-hmm. but that is kind of a rarity among uh modern filmmakers and he is you know, like you said, he is kind of one of those of the generation of film brats where he, he you know, he's he's uh, known for, you know, loving uh, loving cinema. And, you know, and he's got a lot of stories about um, seeing his favorite films. And, and, you know, that was a big part of his childhood, too. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Like uh, there's a movie. It's like a three hour British documentary called like uh, a personal journey with Martin Scorsese through American film. And he literally just talks about all of his favorite movies from like, you know, 30s, 40s, 50s American movies. Um, yeah, And it's really informative. It's it's like he's a, he's a guy who like it, it's just great to see him talk about movies and stuff because he does have a genuine love. And like, I think t- to this day, he still watches a movie every day, like, you know, at the end of the day and stuff. And uh like I know, like him and PTA are both like that, where they like they have like encyclopedic knowledge of movies, and that's some. That's why I try to watch so many because I know that guys like them, like you know, you know, they've seen everything. So it's like, especially now with like streaming and stuff, it's like everything is so accessible. You know, it's kind of you'd be crazy not to like go back and like get the Criterion Channel. You know, if you really love movies these days. Yeah, it, it is interesting. Like, uh, you know. Uh, just a little brief tangent before we actually discuss the two films that we watched. Um, uh, It is interesting that, you know, streaming is a big thing now, but also, um, you know, it's, it's through, like I said, through Scorsese, he's, he's kind of trying to preserve film and, and, you know, archive it because there is a lot of, um, there's a lot of problems even with streaming and, and everything about, films being lost you know and that's one of the you know that's one of the the main themes of one of the movies we watched today so oh yeah for sure i'm ready to get into it so let's uh get into our first movie uh with that said uh first film of the day 1993's the age of innocence starring starring uh daniel day lewis michelle pfeiffer winona Ryder. uh set in 1870s new york um it's about fake friends, social stigma, a lot of stuff we can relate to these days. Um, this is a movie that I like. I vaguely knew that there was a period Scorsese that I hadn't seen, and but I couldn't have told you probably like who was in it because um, I just kind of like lumped it in with a bunch of other like period pieces from the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I ended up loving it. I was really surprised. But uh, yeah, I want to know how, how you felt. What, what did you think of uh, The Age of Innocence? Yeah, so, um, you know, I, I you and I follow each other on, on Letterboxd. And, and I told you, you know, off mic that mm. um, I'm not necessarily a big regular of movies. But, you know, if we had to rank it out of, um, you know, out of stars, you know, I'd say it's a it's a 
you know, four, four and a half out yeah, of five. I agree. Um, and, and yeah, exactly. And um, I, I, I loved, I loved this movie. You know, um, mm-hmm. I had someone I posted about it, um, and then someone on film Twitter said it's top five Scorsese for them, and yeah. um, I can definitely see where they're coming from. I think I might agree with them. I have, I might have to wa- rewatch some movies um, of his, and then watch the rest of his films that I haven't seen to fully determine that. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, you were talking about, um, kind of not seeing it at the time and, and, and it's kind of lumped in because it's a, you know, it's an Edith Wharton novel. It's a period costume drama about, um, society at the time and society's expectations and everything. So it's definitely out of, um, Martin Scorsese's normal, wheelhouse in which he's making you know like uh the traditional if you think of martin scorsese you think of like goodfellas you think of casino you think of these like the departed you think of gangster flicks and and not necessarily this um you know drama about uh new york society in the 1870s yeah his his uh friends were like famously kind of confused at the time especially when he told them that like it wasn't a studio job like this is just passion project like something he wanted to make uh like a a writer that he had collaborated with had like introduced him to the novel like the decade before and he was just like if you ever make a romantic film this should be the one and like yeah if you know anything about scorsese and his love for like old golden golden age romances or like uh old school like even musicals and stuff like it, it you know it, it makes sense like um why he would want to make it like this it is very much like um like uh you know it's like of the of the like golden classic like golden age period of hollywood like you know the the whole like period thing and like uh it's very like uh what's the word i'm looking for um like prestigious you know yeah um like now knowing Scorsese, it makes sense. You're like, oh yeah, of course he would have made one movie like this. It was just weird that he made it at the time. I think for people were like, you know, people were like, what he he did the next movie he did was Casino. So like, but even then people were like, what are you doing? This is the same thing as Goodfellas. Even he himself has said like, like I, I've talked to you about it off off mic. Like, uh, Casino is like my favorite. Um, scorsese but like even when i was doing research for this i found that like scorsese himself was like yeah casino doesn't have a plot and it's basically just like rehash a good fellow like even he himself does isn't like the biggest fan and but i don't care like i'm I'm alone in my like love of that movie but uh as far as this one goes like uh yeah i mean i think i definitely agree that like for the most of the movie like for most of the movie i was like yeah this is like four territory for me and it was really the ending, like, that, like, made the movie, like, it, it would set the movie apart and, like, pushed it into, like, you know, four and a half territory. Um, very powerful ending. Like, I know you're a big fan of it, too. Um, oh, absolutely. The ending is, you know, it's it's absolutely pure cinema. It's the 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 swelling of the music and just the way that it ends is um you know that's perfect that's why i'll go to the movies you know yeah no it's very powerful it's very like it's like the whole film uh i know you've seen like uh cape fear cape fear is very like uh very like almost in your face with its like uh visual like 
style. Like, it's very, like, aggressively stylistic, almost. And mm-hmm. this, like, he certainly uses things that he, like, experimented with in Cape Fear, but, like, a little more restrained. Um, you know, this film, it still, it, it still has, like, trademark Scorsese, like, a lot. There's a lot of jump cuts in the film, so I know it was, like, hard to edit. Cause it's like there was what there was like a lot of scenes there wasn't like a natural flow. It was like trying to make these disjointed things like fit together, but it totally works in this one. Um, I know in other movies he's done that where like with New York, New York, like he started shooting um, without a script, and so he literally just shot like hundreds of scenes with De Niro and Liza Minnelli, and like they just like pieced it together later. And like he's done that a lot. Like he he famously said that Departed is his first movie um, with a plot. Which mm-hmm. I think is funny, and obviously, like this movie is also. I mean, this movie has a very definite structure, like since it is based on classic literature. Um, yeah, but yeah, the story is obviously very powerful. Like, script's great. I like specifically about like uh, regarding like Scorsese's like contributions. There's a lot of visual stuff like that I appreciated. Like, um, for instance, uh, I think it's like the end of Act Two. Uh, there's a scene where Archer, played by Daniel Day-Lewis, is, like, he's at a party, and he's just, like, with these old guys, and they're just, like, talking about something random, and it doesn't really matter, and he just sort of, like, in one shot, he just sort of, like, drifts away from the conversation, and the camera follows him, and he, like, slowly drifts into, like, a conversation with a different old man, and, like, you know, the what these, what the old men are saying, obviously, like, doesn't mean anything, it doesn't really matter. Uh, but like just that camera movement itself tells you everything you need to know about like, you know, like it it makes him seem very listless and like he's just sort of like, you know, floating and none of this really matters. And it, it he seems like at that point his most disillusioned and like when he's maybe the closest to like breaking, like not caring about the barriers and like this, the societal repercussion, repercussions and just straight up just like, you know. Because that, that's ultimately, like, what holds him back, you know, is his, like, adherence to these, like, sh- social codes, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. and, like, because we've talked about, like, there's not really, like, there's, like, antagonists where there's not, like, one main villain. And even, like, I feel like in, in like, lesser hands, like, they would have demonized Winona Ryder's character a lot more and made it been, like, oh, this bitch is just in the way, you know? <laughs> um, like, but they do the opposite, you know? They, like, the love between... Winona Ryder and like Daniel Day Lewis, like till the end is very like you know. I mean, and spoiler alert, like we're gonna spoil the shit out of this movie uh, from nineteen ninety three. Yeah, that's that's one thing. Yeah, I definitely wanted to say a little bit of spoilers, you know, um, going in. But um, yeah, he, you know, um, like we talked about uh, a little beforehand, it was um, there's no definite bad guys like twirling the mustache and like you know no nothing that you can overcome it's really like a conflict an internal conflict between the uh you know the main characters where it's daniel day lewis who's um you know as arthur he's in love with uh he, he's gonna marry winona Ryder, and he's actually in love with her cousin who is um the countess i don't remember which country she's the countess from but she recently is uh, single because she's trying to um, gasp, right? Get a divorce yeah. in this time, you know. And and she comes to America for freedom, right? Because she's 
you know, that's what America is. It's freedom. But the social mores at the time are telling her, well, no, she can't, you know, exercise this freedom because uh, she is going about it the wrong way. She's seeking divorce instead of, you know, remaining married to this man, the Count, right? Yeah. And uh, Daniel Day-Lewis' character, Arthur, he is in love with her, but he can't necessarily act upon it because of the social customs at the time. And that's the main driving force of this film is that he can't um, he can't really express himself freely because even though he is in the upper echelon of society, he's still held by social norms. And that's what, you know, I told you ahead of time, I think that that's kind of the, uh, the villain of the film, which is social norms of America in the 1870s. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely like she comes to America because America was, I mean, it was still much more egalitarian than, like, you know, the old world. But it's still, like, haunted by the ways of the old world and by, like, the ways of the past. And, like, Scorsese has called this his, like, uh, most violent film. Like, obviously, he means, like, emotionally and socially. Like, the social violence of, like, you know, people being, like, cast aside and, like, uh, chastised by society. Like, uh and it's like it, he's furious the whole time the whole movie he's just like totally like at war with himself like i, I told you in my research like i found uh scorsese talking about antonioni's la ventura and he says that like antonioni's movies have been called like alienated so much like people would describe them as like talk as being about like alienation like that's basically become like meaningless and so mm-hmm. like the way he likes to think about it is like uh it's about people in spiritual distress and yeah. like that stayed with me because obviously not to, that's not only a theme that like you can go out throughout like Scorsese's whole like filmography and be like oh he's it's clearly something like thematically that he's also concerned with uh but specifically with these two films like what is this movie but if not like Daniel Day-Lewis just being in total like spiritual distress the whole time and just like you know, being at war with himself. And it's also, like, it's not just about, like, what society would say about him leaving Winona for Michelle Pfeiffer, but, like, um, you know, he also does have this, like, loyalty to his wife. Like, she... He does love her, you know? And, like, and so that's what I love about the ending is, like, he's at war with himself the whole time, and then at the end, he finally... Like, when he decides just not to see her, like, he finally seems at peace, you know, for once. Um like like he stopped warring with himself and you know he like he says he's old school like you know he still wants to like respect his wife or her memory at least because he knows that she he was in love with her and that he gave michelle pfeiffer up basically like to start a family and to you know quote do the right thing or whatever and like that's one of the things she loved about him even though it was even though he loved another woman you know um yeah but yeah, that's what's so attractive about these kinds of movies is like, like, because normally, like, if people were in this sort of position now, I'd say, you know, they probably wouldn't give a shit what people would say. Like, people do it all the time. People do, like, terrible things or, like, they leave their spouse or, like, they leave their family. And it's like, you're, it's like, it's not their problem. It's your problem for, like, you know, being upset, right? You got to deal with it. Yeah. Um, people just don't care. You know, people don't care anymore. People all, all just want to, like, 
satisfy their own needs and like so like the idea of like oh maybe i wouldn't do this because it would look bad like that's such a quaint old school notion you know now yeah and and the reason you know one of the reasons i think why scorsese kind of says that this is his most violent film is because it is it is pretty violent you know arthur's pretty violent towards himself like his desires are completely you know swept under the rug which i don't you know you and i talked about it too like i don't feel bad for him because you know he does you know it's like he marries winona Ryder. like oh no yeah (laughs) Yeah. stakes are like not very high but at the same time he is you know oppressed he's a he is a member of the society that he decides to be a part of right through his, his wealth and and social status. So he, he um, is a victim essentially of these social mores that he just was like, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to be more, I'm going to look better marrying Winona Ryder. And, um, you know, like I told you, um a couple times i like you know one of my my main things about about movies that uh like i i don't ever fault anybody for being like matt you have a stupid opinion of movies but it's (laughs) like i think that i i really like movies that are like for me right and i think that like you know un unrequited love is definitely one of my um favorite types of films and it's one of those films that um, Age of Innocence is one of these films that um, kind of uh, has those themes, you know, especially with with regards to the ending where um, he's he doesn't I don't think he ends happy. Like, I don't think it's a happy ending. You know, I think it's a very melancholy ending. Um but there's a yeah. lot of there's a lot of not only societal pressures that Daniel Day Lewis's character um, has to reckon with. There's a lot of um, personal uh, personal pressures that he reckons with. Where you know, uh, and, and I think it's extremely well directed in this regard. Where um, you know, there's a scene where he's uh, it's after he he flirted with the countess and you know in her carriage. And, um, you know, he marries uh, Winona Ryder and he's like, oh, yeah, she's she's happy. She's clueless about the whole thing, which we, we find out that she's not, you know, yeah. later on. Um, but he he essentially uh, goes to to vacation with with her, um, with the the matriarch of the entire family. Right. And she's like they kind of describe in the film that she's the matriarch of you know uh yeah. new york and she says why don't you go get the countess right to and he's like you know he kind of very quickly volunteers you know i'll i'll go he goes to the beach to find her. yeah <laughs> he yeah. he he goes to the beach to find her and he sees her on the pier and he says to himself he's like and he sets these limits for himself he hmm. says if she turns around you know and this is like all internal monologue he's like if she turns around then i will you know, I will call out to her essentially. And she doesn't turn around. And later on in the film, she says to him, she's like, I knew you were there. That's why I didn't turn around. Right. So there's this like game that they're playing 
with their yeah. their love for each other. Um, and and you know, at the end of the film, the end of the film is you know he's he's old. Um, Winona Ryder, his wife has died. Um, she ends up telling his kids that she thought he was a great husband because she knew that he sacrificed for them basically you know he kind of put these pressures on himself and never like fulfilled his love for the countess you know he kind of gave that all up for his family and um so they they go he's like mom wanted you to go come with me to meet the countess so they they go to where she is you know in europe and um he's what he's like I'll wait outside for you to go in to his son. His son's meeting her. And he's like, I will wait outside for you to go in. And he's like, well, what do I tell her? And he's like, well, tell her I'm old fashioned. And he's looking up at the window and it's, this is a perfect like direction from Scorsese here. He's looking up at the window and he sees the, the curtains blow and he's kind of like, it kind of fades from, from, uh, Daniel Day Lewis you know, back to Pfeiffer, like in the past, and he's imagining her turning around on the beach, right? Which is what he wanted to happen that day. And, um, you know, there's a person that comes to the window. He's like, wait a minute, this could be her. And it's the, uh, the, one of the, the helpers, one of the servants yeah. come to close the window essentially. And he gets up and the music swells and he walks away. And that's the end of the movie. And, the thing about that, which makes it so powerful, is that he kind of sets this limit on himself, at least at, in my opinion, at that oh, yeah, moment yeah. where he's setting this limit on himself to to say, if she comes to the window, I'll go to her. Yeah. You know, if, I'll you know, if like, the figure in the window is her, then like I'll come up, you know. Exactly. And he, you know, he says this in a way that like uh, or he, he thinks it's like it's shot in a way that is kind of indicating that. And um, when he gets up to go, you know, like before this, before all this happens, he's like psyching himself up, essentially. You know, he's like, I'm only 57. You know, there's still time. Yeah, <laughs> that's, yeah. You know. that's what I mean. Like the ending, like, I don't think it's definitely not happy, but like it, it, he seems to be like at least to have come to terms with like it's never going to happen, you know, because like you said, like right before that, he's saying to himself, like, oh, I'm only 57, you know, like, uh, it's Michelle Pfeiffer, you know, she probably probably looks good, you know, like he's, he, like, tell, tell me all, he's telling himself all this stuff because he still like doesn't get that it's just not going to happen, you know, it just wasn't meant to be. And uh, yeah, that like overall was like, I mean, it's a classic example. That was my takeaway is just like, it's a classic example of just like, you know, it's like that old rule, like, I don't know if it's a rule, but I'm, I'm I'm assuming it is. Sounds like one of, like, you know, the best love stories are ones where, like, the two people aren't together, you know, or where they can't be together, you know. Like, keeping them apart is what, like, creates that yearning and stuff and that desire to see them, like, get back together, right? So, oh, yeah, definitely. It, it's definitely a, um, like I said, a perfect, uh, perfect me movie with unrequited love, right? And, and, and everything. Um, oh, and also another reason why it's a you movie is because the production designer, this is the first time he worked with um, Scorsese, but the production designer who he would work with uh, a lot in the future um, was Dante Ferretti, who uh, worked 
with Fellini. Uh, he worked with Your Boy, Pasolini, and uh, this movie basically has the same production designer as Sa- uh, as Salo. So I always thought it was interesting because you know this is a beautiful film. It's known for like its attention to detail, and it's like, oh yeah, you know the guy who did all that. It's the same guy who did Salo. <laughs> Yeah, which is uh, which is very interesting, right? It's a violence yeah. of a different kind. Because <laughs> yeah, exactly, and it's like it's similar, but it's you know it's very similar in very much a lot of ways, but obviously a very different movie. Um, to close out, uh, this movie, sort of a box office bomb, does win an Oscar for costume design. Um, like I said, it's more of just nice to like. I think it's a nice film for Scorsese to have in his like filmography, like. You know, you would hate for him to be like, oh, I regret never being able to make my version of Magnificent Ambersons, you know, like, yeah, you know, and I think we all would have been like, oh, man, what, like, could you imagine if Scorsese made a period piece or something? And, you know, it's like, uh. yeah, I, I think it's weird because it, it you know, it's a perfect it's, it, it's weird because it's like a perfect movie to fit into his like entire work, you know? Yeah. But also at the same time, it's a movie that you wouldn't expect to be in his work. Like uh, the stereotypical, like like I said, if you're kind of boiling down yeah. Scorsese as like a, a person who is just kind of like a, not even a meme, but like as a, a filmmaker who we go, okay, they, um, you know, they, they kind of make the same movie over and over, this gangster flick, this dude bro, film bro, whatever. You know, it's kind of a refutation of that, but it also fits kind of neatly into his filmography as well. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that's just kind of a, a beautiful uh, beautiful thing. And, and you know, um, the the only other thing I, I wanted to say about, you know, like the, the, the film itself is that... Um, you know, there's a lot of times there's, you know, there's there's a lot of debate whether there should be like, like whether, you know, whether narration in film is good or, or not. Um, yeah. You know, and I think because it's based on a novel and because the way they do mm-hmm. the narration, I actually really liked the narration in this film. Yeah. Um, it's done pretty tastefully. Um, you know, I, I told you it's kind of like uh, it, the the I don't know who they got to do the narration uh, of the of the the. You know, expository. Um, it was like an older actress, but I don't think anyone that like I, that I had. I don't know. I'm, she's probably been in something, and everyone's gonna be like, "Oh, you didn't know that was blah blah blah." Well, the 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 point was not necessarily who she was, but you know, and that that's not. It was really important. good though. Yeah, it's it's that she's she sounds like, and this is kind of like my whole take on the the narration aspect of the film. She sounds like a audiobook like actor like the one who reads an audiobook which i think is very it's very tonally in sync with the rest of the movie and, and you know like like i said there's parts mm. you know these old novels uh will have um it's called a epistolary pist- right it's it's where uh it's a letter in a novel it's basically like mm. jane austen's like you know very famous for this type of stuff and that's kind of like you know, and I've never read the the original novel, Age of the Age of Innocence, but um, those old novels are full of letters, like like uh, yeah. Dracula. Dracula is an epistolary novel where it's told through letters. Uh, yeah, it's like a it's like a framing device, basically. Yes, and there's uh, there's two letters that are read by the two female leads of Winona Ryder 
and Michelle Pfeiffer. Um, and it's, a uh, like I said, it's, it's done extremely well. You know, Scorsese is the guy to kind of do this type of stuff and not make it yeah. seem bad. You know, I think it's kind of, a, I think this film is definitely a template on how to do, um, costume period pieces, literary adaptations, you know, for sure. Because, uh, like I said, when they, when they read the letters, like, it's like, Oh, like. I, I can't wait to see you, you know, my dearest Arthur or whatever, like come to the summer house. And, and it's them like, as their characters, you know, yeah. like cuts away from like Arthur to Michelle, like Arthur reading it to Michelle Pfeiffer, you know, the countess, like, yeah. Yeah. Speaking the novel or speaking the, the letter. Um, and the same thing with, um, with Renato Ryder later on in the film. So, and I think that's extremely well done, just an extremely well directed movie. Again, um, Highly recommend it. One definitely, you know, I can see why this would be someone's. If someone said this was their favorite Scorsese, I wouldn't necessarily be mad. I would say, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, yeah, they, very, you'd be like, you're a particular kind of person, but I get it. <laughs> yeah, it's a very, it's a very good, very good movie. So that, that's that's yeah, the yeah. last thing I had to say about it. No, yeah, and just one more note. Uh, I was right. Uh, the narrator was Joan Woodward, who has not only won an Oscar, not only was she honored at the Kennedy Center, but uh, she was married her her whole life or his whole life to uh, Paul Newman. And uh, he died in 2008. She's still alive. She's 92. Uh, yeah, so definitely a famous person that I should have known. And uh, but yeah, that was the narrator. <laughs> so wow. makes sense that, uh, yeah, it was really good.
Okay, cool. Uh, now, our second film of the episode. Obviously, another Scorsese film. 2011's Hugo. Uh, this is a movie that, you know, you see a lot of these in his filmography where it was, like, very critically acclaimed. Also a notorious box office bomb. Um, the rights for the film were bought up pretty quickly, like, before it... It's based on a children's novel. The rights were bought before it even came out. So I don't know if there was like Hugo mania, like tearing up the, you know, running, running wild at the time. You know, I think it was more of just like the adults saw this children's film and thought it would be a really good idea for a movie. And um, I think his daughter also was a fan of the book. But uh, yeah, Hugo, uh like I said, if Age of Innocence is like a four and a half, this is more of like a three and a half for me, at least personally. Uh, didn't hate it. Like, we can talk a little bit about the 3D and stuff and like kind of the context of the film. But uh, yeah, just generally, what are your thoughts? How'd you like it? Yeah, so uh, I wanted to kind of, um, I wanted to give a overview of this film. You know, you know my personal history with this film, but I just think it's funny for the listeners. Oh, yeah, go for um, it. Yeah, totally. So I, <laughs> you know, trailers and advertising is a uh, whole other beast in and of itself. It's definitely an art form um, in, you know, within the movie making industry. And um, when this film came out in 2011, I saw it in cinemas with my best friend at the time in high school. We were still in high school. We were 10th grade, 11th grade, I think, at the time. So um, this had come off right when I started making the transition from, like, a person who thought films were kind of, like, entertainment into thinking that they were art. Mm -hmm. uh, it came, and that, that transition kind of happened gradually, you know, um, the first step in that transition, you know, and, and it's an important filmmaker that you and I always talk about, Christopher Nolan. He's a good, you know, gateway filmmaker because he Nolan does kind of ape a lot of uh, films, a lot of styles, uh, and he's kind of good at doing so. So uh, me and my best friend at the time who are getting into films, we go and see Inception in theaters and we love it. We think, wow, this is cinema, baby. You yeah. know, capital C cinema. And we're like, these aren't entertainment. This is high art, you know. And so we hear about the reviews for Hugo. Critics loved it at the time. They were all praising this movie. We had no idea what this movie was about. So we go and see it. And before we see it, we see the commercials and the commercials for this movie made it seem much like uh, recently released. <laughs> I saw this tweet. It was, it was like recently released Nightmare Alley. They were like, you know, I like I didn't like Nightmare Alley, but they they liked Nightmare Alley. And they said, I like the movie. But why did the trailers make it look like it was a werewolf movie? <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. And and I do remember distinctly like seeing the the trailer in theaters for Nightmare Alley and thinking, wow, this looks like a werewolf movie, you know? Yeah. Uh, or like a like a supernatural detective vampire movie. And Hugo was similar in that they made it look kind of like a Harry Potter movie, right? So it was like a it made it seem like it was a magic like kid, you know, movie and we were kind of like, okay, well, we'll go see it because everyone loves it. We saw it in theaters. We hated it at the time. Um 
when it uh, when it was time to do this podcast. I haven't seen it since theaters. I've only seen it the one time. I was like, all right, I can't wait to watch this movie again. Because someone online was like, you need to rewatch this movie because you have an appreciation of movies, right? So I saw this movie again, and I did like it. Um, I do agree, you know, if Age of Innocence is a four to four and a half out of five, then this movie is definitely a three, three and a half. I would rate it a whole star lower than Age of Innocence because it's a good good movie. It's cute, you know, um, but the thing that... uh, is is most interesting about like this movie you know out of all the movies you know out of the 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 movies we talked about with Scorsese you can tell that this is his most personal movie uh it's a film about films yeah it's about the power of film it's kind of like a you know there's a lot of people that talk about novels and they're like okay well I'm tired of writers writing about the power of writing you know yeah and, yeah this is definitely a movie that's about the power of movies. It's good in that way. It's definitely his most personal in that regard. It's got a lot of film conservationist messages, right, about mm. the importance of cinema and how we need to preserve cinema and, and everything. Um, it's also a children's film, which is very weird. You and I both have talked about it being yeah. weirdly a children's film because it does not feel like a children's film. And I don't think that there is a child on the face of this planet who would appreciate this movie. <laughs> no, exactly. That, that's what I was going to say. Like, you know, like, obviously, like I love this movie as an adult who loves movies. Right. But uh, we talked about this. It, it's like, if I was a kid, I would have probably rejected this movie like outright, you know, just because like I said, I had already seen Goodfellas and shit. Like, I wasn't, I don't really, like, I appreciate it because I, like, I've studied the history of movies now, you know, like, as an adult. Like, I know about who George Melies is and stuff and the Lumia brothers. Like, it's fascinating for me. But, but yeah, at eight, year old, at eight years old, I didn't know any of that shit. And um, we talked about this a little bit before. It's like, it's like, uh, it has the same problem as, like, uh, the movie Pic- uh, Pixar Soul, where it's like, yeah, I saw that movie and it deeply, deeply affected me. Like both of those movies, I cried during. You know, they were very emotional for me. Um, but especially like Soul, like I loved it and I thought it was like, but I loved it as a like adult who's who's kind of like it's about an adult who's kind of a loser and it's like, oh yeah, I can relate to that, right? But if like yeah. I'm a kid, I don't know if I can relate to the character who literally needs to die to get a second chance at like life and. Like, just the whole themes of, like, accepting, like, a different kind of dream. And, like, oh, it, it just, I don't know. It, it like, like I said, like, and especially with all of, like, the death stuff that goes on in that movie. Like, I remember, like, being really affected by it. But then at the same time being, like, what kid, what are kids thinking of this movie, you know? <laughs> because, like, yeah. I'm sure it has enough, like, cute Pixar stuff to, like, get them through it. But, like, really, do they really know what's going on? Do they really, like can they really appreciate that this movie is about like death and souls and like, you know, Oh, your soul and your body are different. Like, you know, I don't know. It just, <laughs> it's, it, it just feels like very like, like kind of like out there. Like it, it's the most like kind of like out there existentially of the, of the Pixar movies kind of like, I don't know. Like there's just a lot of stuff that like, I don't know if like it's really getting through to kids what this movie is really about. Um, yeah, and, and, and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe 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 kids are like way smarter than me, and like I'm just an yeah, idiot or something. Right, like that's always a possibility, you know. Uh, yeah, kids might be all right, but uh, 
one thing is that's that's interesting is that at the time, right, 2011, when Hugo released, right, like, because Soul, like, Pixar now, kind of, like, in Disney, kind of make movies that are kids' movies, but they're not for, like, I always say They're this not about, for kids, right? Yeah, like, all the all the <laughs> Disney Pixar movies aren't for kids. They're for, they're for millennials. They're for 30-year-old man children <laughs> yeah they're for they're for fucking like mid millennials in their mid-30s like like i said like pixar soul is literally about a middle-aged guy who like never really achieves his dream so he has to literally die to get a second chance to appreciate life and like the stuff that he does have and the themes of like death and reincarnation and shit like like you wouldn't just sit down with a kid and start talking about this shit you know you wouldn't sit down with an eight-year-old and be like so what if you died tomorrow would you wake up a different <laughs> yeah. person like it's it, it's like like i said it i think there's enough cutesy shit that like they're like oh i'm entertained and you know i love the fact that it's jamie fox like it's i don't want any like anyone to think that it has anything to do with like that shit it's literally the fact that he's a middle-aged guy because like i said i i'm the same way so like i i can appreciate it and i feel like with, with hugo it's like yeah, I'm sure if we went on Twitter and talked to all of our friends who were, like, in their 20s and 30s, like, yeah, they would say they love this movie because, like, they're movie lovers. They post on Letterboxd. They love Scorsese. Like, this is movie made for them, you know? It's it's made for, like, made for, like, adults who love movies but who, like, want a childlike experience. Whereas, like I said, even me, who, like, at eight years old, knew Scorsese, knew that I had an idea that I wanted to make movies, even then I would probably wouldn't have appreciated this film. I would have been like, what the fuck is this? Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I, Cause like I was into like Godzilla and Batman and Robocop, right? Like that's what I wanted as a kid. I didn't want fucking like magic and like, uh, you know, France and, and Oh, I should, I should say like, I took France and I took French in college. Like I still, like I still practice it to this day. Like I speak French. Like I, this movie is tailor made for me, but like I'm trying to think outside of my own perspective and trying to think from like either the perspective of like a normal movie watcher or like a kid. And like I said, ultimately the conclusion I came to was that like it seems like the movie this money the money this movie made was like from like parents being like, Hey, I'm gonna take you to see a movie, right? Hey, we're gonna go see Hugo. And like <laughs> and like you know, like like that's not if that if, if a parent does that, the the kid's just gonna be like, Oh, this movie sucks, right? Like it, it's yeah, the other I, way around. The kid the kid has to see the thing and then demand that the parents take them. I don't think that ever happened with this movie. I think what was crazy is like I think what happened was like the marketing really did kind of put like it, it like you know we we talked about like uh off my account Scorsese kind of is an interesting filmmaker because he's canonized right he kind of makes these movies that um are either bombs or they kind of like do just well enough you know to kind of get him over the hump um with regards to Hugo uh i think that it's money the money that it did make you know was from the the camp the marketing campaign you know, which was like Magic Boy, which wasn't the movie at all, right? It's a definitely a like I said, it's definitely a movie. You know, that's about cinema. It's about like loving the movies, and um, I mean, it's about know, an old guy who doesn't really feel appreciated at all. Yeah, and there's a lot of you know weird stuff you know around the movie with like the 3D at the time and it being made in 3D and 
And, you know, like I said, it's kind of it's kind of weird seeing Sasha Baron Cohen in like a Scorsese movie, right? Borat, yeah. Every time he came on stage his screen, I was just like, Borat. My wife. My wife. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. No, I, I thought like his stuff with Emily Mortimer was like some of the stronger stuff in the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's his name? Uh the Michael Stuhlberg Stuhlbarg, the uh wonderful film act uh stage actor who his big breakout was uh, a serious man. Like all of his shit was very like emotional. Very got, it, it, like very much got to me. Like, yeah, know. I think I think those two are definitely some of the standouts of the the film. You know, it's yeah. it's uh, you know, it, it's like <laughs> again, like it's the 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 whole kid movie thing. It's like Sasha Baron Cohen is the the uh, the train station security guy who was wounded in the war and like wasn't whole and there's like a part yeah. in the movie where uh he's you know like he's he's the bad guy ostensibly because he will capture like orphan children and send them to the orphanage and he himself is an orphan and there's kind of like like the you know the penultimate scene in the film is uh the you know him capturing Hugo and 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 uh Hugo's like no, like I need to be whole again. Like I've lost, you know, everything. And, and there's yeah. like a sympathy for him, you know, cause there's a, there's like a love story with him. And like you said, Emily Mortimer, the flower girl in the film. Um, but it's really funny cause it's like how a kid's going to relate to this aspect of the movie. You know, she goes like, uh, my brother died in the wall. Like yeah. you know, like what and it's like, like oh, and I think I said this before, like like a like uh like Scorsese, I, like that's a name that only sells like movies to adults, right? Like there's not a, there's not like an eight year old at the time who's like, oh fuck, you mean the guy who made a Cundun, you know? Like yeah. yeah, I'd love to see his movie, you know? Like no, love, kids don't give a shit about that. I love Goodfellas, like as a, as a yeah. child. Me maybe, yeah. yeah. I I would have been like. But you know, like I, I was in my twenties. I was like, "Oh, it's a three D movie. It's a kids movie." But then, you know, if had I known that it was about the history of film, I probably would have seen it. I probably would have liked it. But yeah, like I said, now, like being a little older and having a little pr- more perspective, it definitely feels like just a movie for like a kind of guy that doesn't really, sadly, exist anymore. Like, you know, we talk about all the time like people (laughs) like yeah 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 i mean like i can appreciate this is a movie for us but like i can also appreciate that it isn't for like most people and like um yeah it it it, like yeah it's very like film like it's it's the film bro like it's the like quintessential like film bro like uh kids movie i would say you know yeah like old school film bro i think we should definitely clarify too or was like you know seeing everything and seeing foreign films and being kind of not i don't want to say snobbish right because it's a dumb it's a dumb criticism but you know you know what i mean like that yeah yeah that idea of like a film bro is like a person who, who actually cares about you know like the history of film and, and likes to see as many you know varying types of films as possible yeah, yeah it's yeah. definitely you know and us it's just kind of a funny thing to hit on you know i'm obviously the the criticism of uh who is this for isn't you know a knock against the film right as as a whole it's a you know you and i both enjoyed seeing the film you know watching it um that's why you know obviously we rated it the way we did 
right? Because you know, three, three and a half is not not bad. You know, three and a half is really good. Yeah, no, I really liked it. I just, you know, like of course, of course, it was magical and there's you know great camera work and stuff. But I'm just trying to find like my big takeaway from it. You know, yeah, it's definitely it's definitely one of those movies that, like I said, I'm glad I revisited. Um, you know, I, I do enjoy it, right? Like it's just you know, it's a story about how uh how invention and and you know mechanics and movies and and you know magic are and illusions are all kind of linked into one and, and yeah. um you know it is the story about uh feeling like something isn't whole you know um like uh you know ben kingsley in the film right as as um you know he 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 kind of is you know mourning this loss of relevance as an old man and and you know he he mourns that his films won't won't be seen and he's like oh good you know basically good riddance you know uh yeah. to, to to them because because that that consumed my life and after the war everyone was too concerned with like you know realism and 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 you know they they, yeah. they had experienced the horrors of reality they didn't care about my like jules verne-esque escapades you know in my films in my you know hundreds of films and he's like i gave my entire life for this and i got nothing out of it essentially and there's a lot of like you know kind of things where it's like what makes life meaningful you know there's yeah uh, i mean themes, the themes of brokenness especially permeate throughout the movie because you know they're talking about world war one and and um yeah definitely uh definitely a you know more grown-up themes and and it's it's a you know like we said it's a good it's a good movie right i I wouldn't ever take away that and say it's not a good movie um i just don't think it's necessarily as strong an outing as age of innocence i don't think it's as strong an outing as as scorsese's other films so that's kind of why you know i rated it the way i did um i i do like uh, I don't know, what did you think of the subplots and, and everything in, in in the film itself? I mean, I feel like the like the themes of the film, the majority of like the action like revolves around George Milliers, right? And like his emotional change, and like he arguably has the biggest emotional arc, right? Because he yeah. goes from being like, um, sh- like he doesn't want to talk about the past; he just wants to forget about it. He, like, hates the past, he hates himself, he hates movies, he just, like, hates everything, and Hugo, like, helps him rediscover, like, that, or discover that people are rediscovering his films, and that, like, he's still seen as somebody important, and, like, you know, literally the whole thing is, like, the the climax is, like, a, you know, an ode to George Milliers, right? Like, it's very much, like, his movie in a lot of ways. So again, I don't know if a kid is seeing this and I don't know if they're like as hooked with like Hugo's story because, you know, with Hugo, like we don't really even get like an answer to like, I mean, not that it matters, but like, you know, well, what happened to his dad, you know, like, yeah, his, do we know like why he was killed or who killed him? uh, That doesn't really matter because like ultimately what really matters is like making this old man happy. And that's kind of like. You know, you could say that about the, you know, like the movie's ultimately about like making like a certain kind of like guy happy and not, you know, like I said, I don't know how, I, I don't, I don't know, like 
um, I don't know how much like you can sympathize with Hugo because he kind of gets put to the back burner, especially at the end, you know. Yeah, it's it's uh, you know it's funny because um, um, there's this uh, <laughs> you know there's a a character in the film right Count Dooku Christopher Lee is in oh, the yeah, movie. I love him. And, uh, you know, I, we see him, you think he's going to be a bad guy and he's just a nice old man who gives books, you know, away, yeah. you know, and he's, he runs a bookshop and there is like, a, a older couple, right? There's a girl who's got, there's an older woman who's got a dog and, and the dog yeah. is biting the guy and, you know, he can't, he can't meet with her. And so, uh, he gets a dog and, and, you know, the, for the dog to follow with so that the dog would like him so he can the George with e- the Roger Ebert looking guy. Yeah. And all the, uh, all the, all those people are like famous stage actors, by the way. So I'm being very disrespectful, but they, they've all performed in the West End for decades. Um, him, the yeah. old woman, uh, uh, the wife, uh, like I said, the parts with Michael, uh, Stuhlbarg and, uh, Mrs. Mama or whatever. Like, yeah. uh, I thought, in real life he actually after so he basically burned a lot of his movies because of thomas edison and then like uh right after that he married his mistress so like i guess in this movie she's actually the mistress that he married i don't know but uh i don't but uh oh and also 200 of his films survived so that's good news uh but like 300 are lost but um yeah i thought like the stuff between like them was very strong and it very much like affected me. And that's what like when he was like, Oh, and I must say you do look just as beautiful as you used to in the movies, you know, like that was a very like, man, even now I'm kind of getting like emotional thinking. Like I get chills. Like that's a very good line. And again, Michael Stuhlbarg is like a genius and a genius stage actor as well. I think if anything, that's like probably the strongest part of this film is like the performances. Um, what do you, you think know, of the kid? What do you think of the kid acting? Because it's Asa Butterfield, Butterfield, yeah, Corey Gary the kid actor, um, right? This was his debut. This was his first movie. Yeah, uh, Asia Butterfield. Uh, this was his first movie. Um, he he would go on to do like Ender's Game and stuff. Um, yeah. I thought he was fine. Like, like I said, he kind of we, like we don't ever. I I I kept waiting to get answers about like his father and like it seems like his story didn't matter so much, you know. It's not Hugo's movie, which is interesting, right? No, yeah, exactly. And it's like even some of the like Hugo Hugo's the driving force behind the story, but it's not he's not the there's there's not like a there's a resolution with Hugo's story, but at the same time it's not his story. You know, he's kind of a part of it. Yeah, and he's still kind of like I mean, he has a home at the end, he's not living in the clock tower, but like I mean emotionally like is he very is he very different at the end you know what i'm saying like he 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 starts out as a very like curious kid who likes building machines and he he is lonely and he is not lonely at the end you know he has a family that's like the big because like that's a big theme to me because like i think there's a scene with chloe grace moretz and asia butterfield where like or hugo where he's just like maybe we're all a little bit broken without our purpose or something. Like, he straight up says the theme of the movie. And then, so the antithesis would be uh, Sasha Baron Cohen's uh, Borat. It would be, like, uh, when he says later on in the movie, he says, you don't need family, right? So those are, like, the antithesis and the thesis or whatever. And so Mm -hmm. I feel like, ultimately, it's like, oh, 
uh, the solution is like uh, to like to find completion. Like you know, it's like has to do with like love, love and family, right? Yeah. Um, it, it's definitely. Um... It's a good film if you want to learn about themes and stuff because they're pretty obvious. So like, you can like really just like watch and like everything's kind of there for you. It's a kids movie. But yeah, if you're like somebody who like, oh, I never can understand themes of movies, watch this movie and then you'll be like, oh yeah, I totally. It's a good movie to like learn on. Yeah, I, I, I like, like that's again, that's not like a. I, I don't know if you necessarily mean it this way, but it's not a detraction in, in my. No, 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 no. Of 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 the movie itself, um, you know, it is. It's a curious like oddity of a movie with regards to you know everything we said before, um, of like who's it for, but at the same time, like it's for us, right? Like it's for yeah. people who like film. Um, you know, and there's there's some there's some three D stuff, you know. Yeah, like yeah a, this came out uh 2011 was the peak use of a uh, so basically um it's called the fusion camera system it was developed by james cameron for avatar and uh the idea is that you use two cameras to shoot 3d like it works how your eye or three cameras maybe uh but it works how like your eyes work and so, like, you can still watch 3D movies in the theater, but generally they're, like, 2D movies that have been converted later. Like, the difference with, like, Hugo and Avatar and stuff was that these films were going to be shot in 3D. And so the peak use of this of the fusion camera system was in 2011. There were, like, a dozen movies, including Hugo, that were made with it. And then since then, it's just slowly trickled off. Like, the last movie to use it was... Um, Alita Battle Angel in 2019. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they're bringing it back for Avatar 2, but I don't know if it'll have, like, an impact or whatever. But, yeah, this was, like, peak 3D. This was, like, when 3D was, like, the next wave. And, yeah, I don't... Like, obviously, most people aren't watching in 3D, so, like... You know, I, it, it definitely sticks out. Like, the parts where you're like, oh, this this would have been in 3D, you know? Yeah. Um, And it kind of dates the film a little yeah definitely yeah. i mean the look of the film itself um when you're watching it you know in obviously 2d you're not watching it in 3d unless you are watching it in 3d then cool but yeah. <laughs> the way that i watched it in 2d if, if, like you said it's definitely dated you can kind of see you go okay that's supposed to be 3d you know, it's not as bad, like, like I told you, it's not as bad as, like, Robert Rodriguez's other, you know, like, Spy Kids 3 or whatever, where he's pointing at the screen or whatever. Um, but you can, you can definitely tell, which isn't, a, like I said, it's not, a, not necessarily a knock against it, it's just kind of like, okay, you know, it's not, obviously not in 3D, you know, we're not, wa- or at least I wasn't watching it in 3D, so there, there was an in- intended effect yes. with regards to that, so, but overall... I think um, final final thoughts for me on the movie. I, I enjoyed it. I I'll tell you, I enjoyed it a lot better. Um, you know, I I think I said this. Critics at the time loved it, and I, I think it's because critics at the time. This was back in, in you know 2011 before Marvel was completely uh, dominating the cultural landscape, and you know there was uh, where Spider Man you know still in theaters like a billion years after it released um 
uh, this was a time when when critics actually watched movies, you know. Yeah. And so so they they loved it because, it, like I said, it was kind of like their wheelhouse. You know, it's a film about films. It's a film about film lovers. It's a very important archivist. Like, is the reason why movies should be preserved? Film. You know, it's the whole thesis at the end. It's like the you know, uh, this is important. This is great. Everyone's there to watch the, the archive, the found films. Um, and, but definitely at the time, uh, I did not resonate with me, not resonate with my buddy. Uh, our, our review at the time was, uh, excuse my friends, but it was fuck this movie. (laughs) It sucks. Then we, then rewatching it for the pod. I enjoyed it. So I rescind my previous statement uh it was a it was a good film it was um it was well worth the watch and i highly recommend that people see it again i don't think it was as well made or as entertaining or you know there's a lot of things that were uh at fault with it um compared to the age of innocence so again it kind of gets that good movie three three and a half to the age of innocence yeah. is great movie, which was four, four and a half for me at least. Yeah, you gotta have standards. You can't, you can't. Everything can't be a four, four star movie, you know. Yeah, not. Yeah, exactly. Not every movie you can. You gotta stand up for for what you believe with regards to movies. I like I said, I do kind of uh, rescind my previous uh, fuck this movie review. Uh, <laughs> you know, yeah, review yeah. the film. But I, I can see now. You know, obviously seeing it now, being an adult, liking film more i can see why at the time critics were like this is the best movie ever this movie rules you know like yeah yeah so so i i apologize to all the uh, formal critics who never heard my opinion nor cared you know yeah and to if you are what if you are like one of the eight-year-olds who love this movie like you know write to the write to us you know hit us up on twitter Tell us, because you're probably weird, right? So you probably have some, like, wonderful stories about being a little Rushmore child. Um, Hey, we'll have you on the pod. We'll have you talk about why this were wrong and why, you know, this is a perfect kids movie. I mean, yeah, obviously, like, in a perfect world, kids would be watching movies like this instead of, like, you know, whatever fucking CGI animal doing karaoke bullshit fucking movie, you know, that... (laughs) People are watching whatever movie based on like a candy from 1993 or some whatever bullshit. Like, yeah, of course, kids would be watching this and we would be cultured, but that's fortunately not the world we live in. Like, I think, you know, unfortunately, like in this, like, you know, because we talked about like people, people don't watch movies, people don't watch movies before their time. Uh, there's just this whole like lack of interest in the art like uh cinema i guess if you want to call it that like you know it's becoming like uh more of a niche thing i guess and this movie is more of like a sad reminder of that than like anything because it did so bad you know yeah um so i guess that's kind of like that's probably the reason why i kind of don't vibe with it either yeah the the old the old um the old film bro i think is a good way of describing it right like the old the proto letterbox guy like yeah yeah definitely what iggy, what iggy and the stooges, yeah yeah what iggy and the stooges were to punk like or like uh the mc5 you know like they're not punk but they were like right before it like that's like i said the proto film bro uh like yeah it, it seems like such a cool time though because they didn't actually like just sit in their rooms and like 
DM each other on Twitter. They actually hung out and got laid. <laughs> what a time. Yeah. <laughs> With that said, imagine imagine what, hanging out and getting laid. <laughs> yeah, dude. What a wild, like, dream world. Um, <laughs> so with that said, uh, a little peek into my, my private life. Uh, <laughs> let's, set up, <laughs> let's set up next week. Let's, uh, I'm going to build it up. I want to, like, you know, do a little fanfare. Because uh, I haven't told you what movie. Next week is my picks, and I haven't told you yet. I actually told you what I wanted to watch, but then I changed my mind. Um, yes, uh, a little peek behind the curtain, if you will. Um, I wanted to have something fresh for the podcast. I didn't want to just come on and be like, "Oh yeah, let's just do the two movies I told you." It's like, ah, we'll each, do one of them, but, but I want to. Yeah, do so different. so the the you know, I don't even think we told the the conceit of the pod. It's each week. They get it. Uh, yeah, it's it's a double feature. It's it's in the name. It's a double feature. It's by theme. It's by director. It's by vibes by whatever we want you know so yes i'm very excited i don't know what two movies you have picked for me so and like yeah we you uh we're generally trying to pick movies that like the other one hasn't seen like i hadn't seen hugo or the age of innocence i know you haven't seen one of these movies the other movie you maybe have seen but i don't think so so yeah next week first off we're still going to start out with the robert altman 1974 classic california split okay like I said, George Siegel and Elliot Gould are very cool in it. I don't remember the specifics, but I feel like if we could cultivate like a similar vibe, like I I feel like it was cool, you know? Uh, yeah. Like I said, I don't remember the specifics, but I feel like when you see it, you'll be like, oh, okay, I get it. I get it. Um, and the theme of next week is Dude's Rock. So uh, I'm actually going to pair that with uh, a movie... So that's from 1974. I'm going to pick a movie from 1976, a couple years later. Uh, it's often confused as a Cassavetes movie because it stars him and Peter Falk. Um, but the irony is that I'm choo- choosing it for uh, Dudes Rock, but it's actually written and directed by a woman. Uh, we're going to go with 1976's Mikey and Nikki, written and directed by Elaine May. Mikey and Nikki, written and directed by Elaine May, which is interesting because Elaine May, on the day of recording, she's, I think her birthday was either today or sometime. So. Yeah, yeah, I wanted to make sure, like, I originally was going to do a different movie. I thought of doing maybe Husbands, but I like the idea of getting a female auteur in there early. I love Elaine May. I love her, like, work with... uh, you know, and her improv work with, uh, you know, Mike Nichols and all that. And, of course, we're, like, big fans. Uh, but, yeah, both of these films, very, like, dudes rock, very 70s. Like, I think somebody on Twitter said that somebody had said that Mikey and Nikki is a movie about, like, two former gay lovers. And, like, it's not explicit in the film, but I guess if you watch it with that in mind, it kind of makes sense. Because it's a very, like... It's a very like oh I'm fucked up I'm fucked up movie kind of movie you know like my like my movie right like my perfect kind of movie right um, yeah of course more my gotta... style just like that's movies I love movie that movies that make you feel like weird and fucked up that's my shit yeah we got you got to pick you got to pick your movies sometimes you know so yes I've never seen either of those so Don't. I'm very excited about delving into them. And, um, you know, discussing with you next week on the pod uh, exactly what we thought. So, yeah, yeah. Like I said, next week, the theme is Dudes Rock, California Split, Mikey and Nikki. Uh, we're gonna, you're going to have a lot of fun. I made sure, like, 
these are like these are going to be fun movies to discuss. I think like this week we like revered Scorsese. We got it in there. We like talked about kind of like you know like our early film memories and stuff. Next week we're going to get down and dirty, and we're going to talk about male love, male, <laughs> uh, male uh, non-sexual love, and uh, just being guys, guys being dudes. What's better than that, you know? I know exactly. All right, man. Well, uh, had a lot of fun. We're going to have a lot of fun next week. Uh, thank you all for joining us. That was uh, Movie Plex Double Feature. Have a good one. Thanks, guys. Yeah.